All right, Toyota, everybody. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. A workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced technology to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available technology this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales events deals when you visit buy a Toyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it is uh, time for a special edition of the Monday Morning Podcast. You know, every once in a while, um, old Freckles here goes out and gets himself a guest. And uh, today is no different, which is why we have a special podcast for this weekend. I can't think of uh, this is probably the biggest. It's got to be the biggest guest I've had. An absolute legend. <laughs> And usually when people say this shit, they, they can't, you know, people, you can't follow it. But believe it or not, I have uh, from Aerosmith, legendary lead guitarist Joe Perry uh, on the Monday Morning Podcast. How are you, buddy? I'm really good. Thanks. Uh, I don't know about the biggest part. I mean, most people say you look bigger. In, I mean, you look smaller in person. But uh, it, Don't you hate that, that? That don't matter. I mean, you know, it's all, it's all about the camera angle and all that stuff. But... Uh, Thanks. I appreciate that, that intro. And uh, Do you get it's, it's that a lot? great to be here today. Oh, sorry. Do you, do you get that a lot? People say that to me like, like, I don't know why they think I was tall. I'm average height. I'm just under 5'10". And then they always come walking up. They're like, oh, I thought you'd be a lot bigger. It's just... It's the way that the, the camera, because the, usually a camera, again, technically, I mean, the camera's kind of down at eye level because they want to get you straight on. Right. And... Or sometimes they'll shoot you from a little below, so it's really hard to tell um, to get any kind of perspective. You know what I mean? Right. Unless you know how tall the person is you're standing next to, that kind of thing. Well, um, I get it with you. It's like you're playing like, you know, the L.A. Coliseum and you're on like a 40-foot stage. I mean, I'm standing in some chuckle hut. It's just like I'm <laughs> maybe six inches taller than I am when I'm not on stage. So um, I don't know. It's always like. Sometimes I just think people just say shit to say shit. Like, do you, how, how do you yeah. deal with, like, you know what, like, amazes me about, before, oh boy, before we get going here, uh, the reason why Joe Perry's here, he's got a new unbelievable book, uh, Joe, Barry, uh, Joe Perry, My Life In and Out of Aerosmith, uh, that's available now. And if, I'm, if um, I'm not mistaken, it already went number one, correct? Well, I think it was number, it was on the, it's in the top 10, uh, was in the top 10, um, uh, New York Times bestseller list. Uh, it was a, in the top ten for two weeks. And this is why your career it, has it, lasted it, for so long because you're this honest. Most people would have just been like, "Yeah, man, yeah, it's number well, one all over the place." Yeah, but it's it's like anybody that that uh, you know sees it. They, they but the thing is, it's it. All they say is top top seller, and they print that on the top, and that's kind of like the stamp. 
that says that at least more than one person has read it. And, uh, <laughs> and the other thing is, is I'm not here just because of the book. I'm here because you're, you're a bud from way back, and I've been looking forward to doing a podcast with you anyway. Oh, that's for, awesome. For man. a while. So it's, uh, yeah, it gives me a chance to yak about the book, but I also get a chance to have some laughs for a change. You know? Good deal. And I promise I'm going to try to steer away from the usual you know, so what's Stephen like? What's uh, how do you pick out your leather pants or whatever? Although I might ask you that one because no, I don't, I, I don't you think you can ask me anything you want, and and I guarantee the the, the uh, answers will be totally different than they've been from from before because a lot of it it's not so much the questions, it's how they're asked and who's asking them. Oh, okay, all right, I like that. Well, let me here's one for you: is what blows my mind nowadays with the whole Twitter thing and Facebook and the whole interactive thing was back in the day. Um, there was no way for me to ever write you something that you would ever, I guess, fan mail or something like that. Just the level of like interaction that people can have. In fact, like when I, when I bought your first albums, it was like, uh, maybe 80, 81 or something like that. So this was just before MTV. Right. I didn't even know who was who. Because I'd turn over the album. Sure. Well, I guess I got Greatest Hits first, and they didn't have a picture of you guys. But uh, when I got like Toys in the Attic or something, I remember I turned it over, and I was trying to figure out which one's Steve which one's Joe, you know, who's Tommy and all right. that type of stuff. Um, what, how have you felt like having lived the old way, bef- like pre, even like pre-MTV, where people didn't, you know, for the, let's say, well, hardcore fans, they had no idea what you looked like, so you oh, could be sure. a little more anonymous if you yeah. walk down the street to like this whole thing now where people can be like, uh, nice book, asshole, why'd you pick this picture? You know, <laughs> you're sitting there eating toast in your fucking kitchen. How, how, doesn't it annoy this shit? I hate the fucking heckles when I'm at home. Well, it's, it's interesting because you got one thing is you got to keep in mind that it's a very small percentage of the people that are out there. So, you, you know, a lot of times you can get like sucked into the whole Twitter thing or Facebook or all that stuff, all the different, different outlets that, that there right. are. And you can go, God, I can't believe that people think that, or or how could they say that? And it's like you got to remember that it's like maybe one of one percent that are actually like you know looking at it. But uh, um, well, how long did the great scheme you? of things, you know? But it's kind of like uh, 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 it's a good thing and a bad thing. It gives people a voice, and you, it's kind of like the like we've said before. The uh, it's like the town square, and you're hanging out in the town square, and anybody can say what they want. Some people want to stand on a soapbox so they can be heard, and very often they get carried away in a white uh, in a white uh, jacket. But uh, uh, <laughs> so, you know, how, how long did those, it take those, for you to get to this Zen place? Because it's something that I kind of bad. Like most times, I'm like, all right, whatever. Hey, you know, whatever. The last eight were good. What are they all going to be good? But like, just every once in a while, somebody just writes something so mean that I get like an urge to like, I just wish there was an app where you could find out where they lived uh, yeah. and just drive over. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I drive over and then lose a fight to them. But, you know, in my fantasy, I win. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, sometimes you have to do that to let off some steam. But, uh, uh, not actually do it, but just kind of go through the mental process. But the point is, is that, uh, uh, you, you read some of that stuff and it can be so mean spirited because they know that they're anonymous and it's like kind of a drag, but, uh, I don't know. Lately it's been, uh, uh, pretty, 
positive. Okay, you know, oh, that's it's cool. been kind of even, and uh, you know, you just kind of pay attention to to the different ones. I mean, some people will only listen to to like one particular thing, or they'll kind of uh, you know drop into at different phases and things like that. So, I don't know. It's just a, just another outlet, uh, but uh, but sometimes we we do use it for. Uh, input when we're talking about a set list, you know, we're right. on the road, we're, we're thinking about, you know, what should we put in there? And sometimes somebody will, will tweet a song. We'll go, I think we remember how to play that one. We'll All throw right. it in the set. Can I, know? can I put out a request? Of course. One that I've always wanted to see play live. It's off your first album, uh, moving out. Well, let me write that down because, uh, <laughs> that's one song that we do play once in a while. Do you play fact, that live? We played it, uh, I think the second to last show of the tour. And, we went right into Walking the Dog. Right oh, after you did? It. So it was kind of like, you know. I think your first album is so underrated because that, if I remember correctly, you basically, uh, you guys, even after you sold that album, you hadn't gone national yet. And it was kind of no. like, um, no. it, you kind of got like New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, sort of New England, and maybe just into Connecticut and New York. Yeah, um, exactly. And it was just, it was really like, uh, it was an uphill fight, Ma. You know, I mean, it was, uh, you know, people think, you know, and if looking from the outside, you know, they're looking at the, at the trade magazines and, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a band on the, on the charts and it seems like they're overnight, but you know, you, you forget, I mean, and it, it goes, it's been, it's been the same ever since the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles spent years and years in those clubs in Hamburg, sleeping in the bathroom, working hard, I mean, busting their ass. And the same thing with, with us. I mean, we worked the clubs and, and kind of spread out and we'd, you know, we'd go through, through, uh, Ohio and play, you know, all, all the towns in Ohio right. and, uh, making our way to Detroit and Detroit, of course, their favorite band was, Jay Giles, so they were willing to give another band from Boston a listen and give us a second chance, you know. And uh, when we went out there, they they really uh, took us to heart. And then uh, coming back to Boston, the uh, the first album uh, was uh, had, had come and kind of gone, but uh, the record company gave us another chance, and we did the second record, and then they re-released Dream On. And uh, it started to get played on the radio. That was back when DJs could actually play what they wanted. I know, right? You know? It's I mean, crazy could, now. You know, you could actually go up there and, and talk to them, play them something. And if it was any good, they would play it. You know, it was pretty cool. That's amazing. You know what? I was just back uh, back east doing Dennis and Cam's uh, Comics Come Home. Yeah. And believe it or not, it was the 20th. The 20th anniversary of that show. And I remember one of the times I did it, you came out and played with the band, which was right. awesome. And um, I'll tell you one thing that strikes me is every time I go back to Boston, because I moved away in 95, it becomes less and less like what I left. And I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to get a greasy slice of pizza here. And then it's gone. Right. And I'm just, I'm finding it. All these areas that used to be scary are getting like nicer and nicer. And I remember... Right. You, what always kills me was when they talk about when you guys were struggling. They were like, yeah, we were all struggling. We were all living in this beat-up apartment on Commonwealth Avenue, which is like Park Avenue now uh, in, 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 uh, in downtown Boston. And I was wondering, do you, do you miss – like when you go, back, go through Boston, I don't know how often you get to go back there. Do you, um, do you like the direction it went with the whole big dig and – well, turning Southie well, into like a bunch of condos and crap. Certainly, the big dig was a uh, was an event, 
in everyone's life who lives in Boston. But, uh, I mean, it was, there's no doubt. And, you know, Why did most- they just make one fucking lane? They turned everything. It was like it was a complete waste of time. Oh, other than aesthetically, I'm fucking, you know, I was driving to the airport. As I went to the airport, you know, I tried to take the Ted Williams Tuttle. So yeah. I get off. I have a 7 a.m. flight. It's like quarter to five in the morning. And so I get off the Ted Williams um, exit, and then I get to the fork in the road. We make a left to do it, and there's all these fucking cones set up. So then I have to go by that and the Callahan Tunnel, flipping right. the fuck out, cursing Boston up and down for the, the, the fucking state worker meathead. And I don't even think that they, they did it by accident. I literally think that they do it on purpose. <laughs> and then you fucking go through all of the bullshit. And once again, it's one lane to get to the airport. So it was like, what was the purpose of all of that? You know, it, it's like, go figure. I mean, there's, there's, it's all about progress under the name of progress. I mean, that's what this whole country's built on and, and growth and all that. And, I mean, I think that, that things have to change there. I don't want. I don't want to get into that right now. But but the bottom line is, uh, are you going to run for frankly, office? Though? I just I haven't been been home that much. I've been out here, you know, from the time we were working on the uh, the, the last Aerosmith record, and then going on the road, and then coming back and finishing the record, and then going on the road again, and then working on the book all through that. I've been spending all my time here, and. Uh, um, I know you sound like you caught a cold a little bit. And well, the allergies here—it's like it's really wet, <laughs> you know, in the back here. Got, he's got—it's uh, beautiful. I mean, he's got like fountains everywhere, and uh, it's just beautiful. But um, but the allergies get you. And I, I was just reading uh, an article in one of the like the Huffington Post, one of those one of those things, and they were saying how that that people's. Uh, People's allergies, or not allergies, but their their whole nasal thing was, was like starting to like uh, react to the a lot of the differences because they travel so much and and there are so many different uh, things that affect people. And right. So they're 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 no if they're, if you're wondering why your nose is different, that's why because your nose is working overtime. It's got nothing to do with. Uh, Anything from Being south of the border, anything? you know, or anything like that. It's just strictly <laughs> your your body reacting to uh, to the uh, to the different stuff in the air, whether it's pollen. I mean, I know in, in Massachusetts, there's that time of the year where all the the pine pollen comes down and it covers your car green and all yeah, that. Yeah, you get and, sick then too. Uh, or get like it's terrible. That's got it's got to drive you nuts. It's terrible. It's it's like. Uh, how do you handle that if you have like a show, if you're doing a Joe Perry thing, uh, Joe Perry project where you have to sing? Well, I uh, have to use a little bit of that spray, you know, that, uh, you know, that you, that you get at the, at the drugstore and it works as long as you don't use too much of it, you know, but it works and it's, uh, and uh, then you get through it. That shit never works for me. Somebody gave me that the other day. I'm doing a cartoon. Um, oh, we got to get you on. Uh, like we have music and stuff in between your projects. Really? Yeah, we're kind of doing this thing. It takes place in like the 70s. I can't give too much of it away. It's not coming out for like another year. But, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're doing some stuff, uh, period stuff from the 70s. Like you remember when Plant and Page used to do that call and response thing on the guitar? Oh, yeah. He'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wah, wah. So we kind of got some people listening to music like that. And um, I, I, as I was driving over here today, I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, I mean, I, sh- I should have got you in on the fucking thing. We're having somebody uh, try to put together like a song for us or whatever. But uh, 
I'd love to have you come in, maybe even do a voice or something like that at some well, point. Well, that's one of the good things about, uh, about all this technology is you don't have to be in the same room at the same time. You know, I mean, certainly there's an advantage to that, but, you know, if, if you can't be there physically, you can certainly, you know, send the files and you can work on it and talk on the phone. I mean, I just did a, um, an, over, an overdub on uh, one of Johnny Winter's songs, uh, God Rest His Soul. Uh, and, uh, you know, he called me up and said, do you want to play on the record? I said, yeah, great. And uh, they sent me the files and they said, I played on it and uh, like right from your house record. yeah well uh, Jesus. here there's a studio right oh. next door so uh we went in and, and cut some uh, well as you noticed i'm not too good with technology i got to tell my listeners the embarrassing beginning to my podcast i was in a rush to get over here i'm freaking out joe perry from aerosmith and i show up i got two microphones i got everything but i only have one mic cord <laughs> and Rock star Joe Perry goes, I'll go next door and get one. Like he's getting all, like he has all cool neighbors. So like he's <laughs> like, I'd go over and get a cup of sugar. He goes over and gets a microphone cord. Well, um, you know, it would stand to reason I hang around with, with kind of musical people. But also the, we stay at the hotel, you know, the Sunset Marquee. I don't know where you stand, but they have a studio downstairs. And that's the only hotel I know of in the world where you can call room service and get a microphone at two in the morning. Is that I right? Mean, if you're like, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of, uh, of writing. In fact, there's a picture of me, uh, in, in the, in the room, uh, working on one of the songs for the record. And, uh, you know, and, and we just set up with the, with the computer and, the, some, some outboard gear and some microphones and, uh, I'll be sitting there and, and I actually wrote the song there and some of the tracks actually made it on the record, but you know, we're just sitting in the living room, you know, and it's, uh, and I needed a mic cord and I called down and they had it there and it was, do you uh, find that that but, new, new know, technology makes you, uh, more creative or is it like, you know, sometimes there's people out here where even if they like write, they're sitting there going like, well, I got to at least have an office where I go to sit down and write. Cause if I don't, I'm sitting here, the TV's here, the kitchen's here. I'm not going to create. Do you find, uh, the new technology where wherever you go, there's a studio makes you procrastinate more or do you work, work more? It's definitely, uh, a lot more, uh, a lot, it, it takes a lot more, uh, get up and go to, to do it because there are so many more distractions. There's, there's no doubt about it. Everything from, you know, a thousand channels on TV to, to whatever you're into. I mean, uh, football 24 hours a day. I mean, whatever. There's so many things that, you know, it's an advantage because you can, you can choose. But on the other hand, it's like, uh, to be able to record in your own house can be like the worst thing and the best thing. I mean, you can always say, well, I can put it off till tomorrow right? because you don't, you know, you haven't booked time in a studio where they're going to charge you $1,500 a day. Whereas you've already put a deposit down on a studio. And right. so you have to go. So there's, money. there's kind of like, uh, there's that end of it. And then there's also, but it really has to come from, from inside and you have to really want to do it. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're, I mean, you're a creative guy. You see things, obviously, uh, Joe, I wouldn't go in, that a, far. in a different way than, than most of us. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. And you see, you see the, the, <laughs> the humor and stuff, uh, and, you know, stuff that, we, that would never occur to the rest of us. But that's why you make us laugh. And the thing is, it's, that's, that's an art. And it's hey, like, let me ask you this. You said that, that Sunset Marquee is the only hotel that you know that you can order a microphone. 
what's the craziest thing you ever ordered room service? You're on the road. Um, you're in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't so much the, the craziest thing. It was the quantity. Oh, yeah? Were you talking <laughs> grams here? <laughs> what, what did you order? Well, enough for, say, 30 people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is... Uh, uh, Don Perignon... By the case, uh, I was—I can remember staying at the uh, at uh, Beverly Hills Hotel at, in the '70s, and it was kind of like the uh, Party Central because they have bungalows out back, you know, like. Jeez, well, and mean, it's the really '70s, cool and everything ones. can be cured as far as STDs go and all that. I mean, do, do you ever miss it? Like, I, I look at some of the '70s, right? Yeah, and I just really wish. I mean, of course, it's all been romanticized in books and movies and all that shit. But do you, like, aside everybody likes being younger, do you miss those days, like, thinking about, like, just how a lot freer and crazier you could be without worrying about somebody with a cell phone camera? I'm talking about single Joe Perry. I got this drinking and drugging thing under control. Like, you're just, you're just having a good time. You're playing with your band. You're selling records and all that. Is a part of you that you ever just – you ever, like, when you're driving down Sunset – and just looking at spots going like, dude, I, I fucking bought a kilo of Coke there and I had one of the best hot dogs I ever had in my life hanging with John Bonham or something. Do you, like, do you, do memories like that still come? Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, especially here in, in LA and there are a couple of places that are still, you know, the same buildings. Some of them changed the names, but I mean, this is the whiskey, a go-go and there's book soup, which has been there forever, which is right. one of the greatest bookstores going next to uh, City Lights up in, in Frisco and, and then there's one in Paris that's really good but but you know there, there are these certain places that are still there and you know the Rainbow and, and the Roxy and uh, Who are some yeah. of the people you remember seeing in the rain? Just because fans are like, well, like the, me who are like nerds it's like do you just want to go to the same place that they stood in. Chances are if if they if, if they were playing in town uh, you could almost guarantee to be to see whoever was playing, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time, you know, a lot of people would just if they were in the middle of of a tour, they had a couple of days off, they would definitely come to L.A. to hang out because right. there's such a great scene here, for, you know, back then, and uh, you could literally like run into anybody. There. What's I the mean, craziest thing you ever saw go down at like the Rainbow Room or the Whiskey or whatever? Like the most. Well, I, I only hung out there a few times because uh, you don't have to name any names. There, I'm not trying to get you in trouble with anybody. But uh, I just uh, it was just uh, a couple of times I've been there. You know, I mean, I would, actually, probably a lot more than I remember, but uh, it's <laughs> probably a lot more than I, than I than I would forget. Actually. Maybe you're the central person but, uh, in the story. You just don't remember the story. One time I saw be. Joe Perry, but. Uh, you know, it was basically a kind of a meeting place for everybody. They would come down from the hills, you know, run into whoever, and then the tables would empty out and as people would take off. And mm-hmm. it was that kind of a place. But uh, uh, and I, I haven't been up there, you know, since uh, uh, Jesus in, in forever. So uh, well, I can guarantee we, you, I don't we, think they've changed anything. When you walk in there, all of the, the, the covers on the seat and everything just look like they've been there I, since the beginning of time. I would bet. I would bet. Uh, and the whiskey is pretty much the same as I remember when we played there our first time here in LA and then we played there you know, not too long ago and it was pretty much the same. Oh, it that's was, cool. It was a great vibe, you know, it's kind of like, uh, the paradise. I don't even know. Have they changed the paradise at all? 
In Boston? Yeah. Dude, the paradise has been gone for, I think, almost 20 years. Well, I guess it changed with that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... It's probably like is a... Is it a uh, club still, or is it a... No, is it you a know, the deal is probably one of those fucking Panera bread yeah. things, and you're just thinking, yeah, you two and the police started here, uh, or the, well, some of their first gigs, I guess, in the United States wow. were here. You know, I just realized as I'm sitting in here, um, you, wow. you probably... I don't, can't imagine the, I think the amount of times you've sat in a room where there was just a suit of armor over in the corner. Yeah. Like some Scooby-Doo shit. This seems like some real, like, rock star stuff. Like, you got to have... You just got to have a suit of armor near you, right? That helps your creative with, process. It came with the place. Oh, it did? You know, but <laughs> oddly, oddly enough, I did have one in my house in, uh, in the 70s. I had, a, I had a suit of armor at the door. And, uh, where do you, where do you buy that? Well, don't the, you have to buy a castle? Once in a while you, it's not a real one, obviously. I mean, it's not, not like a, like one that, uh, I mean, you can tell it's, it's just, it's like a, a mock-up of one, but it still looks really cool. And, uh, how do you know it's not real? Cause there's no because marks if, on it. If you look at this, it, where the screws hold it, hold it together, they kind of like didn't cut off the ends. So if you were to put it on, you'd kind of look like, uh, you just got attacked by about a, uh, about a hundred uh, oh, yeah. mosquitoes or wasps or whatever, because all those little those nails would be sticking in you. Like if, oh, you took okay. the, if you took the helmet off, you'd see like like the rivets sticking out. So it's really not made to. to oh, wear. I just looked at it but and it, I didn't see any scuff marks on it. I just figured that yeah. was like the king's son. Well, you know, who never had to go to battle, but yeah. he'd parade down the street in the well, fucking thing. Well, that's a good observation because it's probably true. But, uh, I mean, it's probably copied off of uh, off of a, of a real one. But uh, there are places you can get things like that. Uh, you see an odd one in the, you know, odd piece in the, in the corner or some, some uh, you know, uh, home and garden place or whatever. And, you know, I guess that's uh, yeah. where they come from, you know. But, hey, uh, I saw you guys at Jones Beach in like uh, 2006. Yeah, awesome, awesome show as always. And um, Motley Crue was opening for you guys right. on that tour, and they're uh, recently they're, they're I think this is going to be their their final tour and, yeah. and all that. Do you remember the? Because um, I'm a huge, you know, being a drummer geek, I'm a huge fan of Tommy Lee. He was uh, yeah. just like, you know, just the, the the show that that guy puts on while also playing a beat is just amazing. I've always loved him and. Uh, I was one. Do you remember the first time you guys uh, did you tour with them during their, their when they were just young guys coming up? Actually, the- I saw them at one of their first gigs uh, at the uh, Santa Monica Civic Center when I was with the project. I was out here uh, doing some gigs, and uh, just for the fans, was this and- the, fir- the first time Stephen left? During that period, was this like early? Because no, no, this was during. This was when I left in 1979, and I had the. I was out here with the project. Uh, at at some point, I'm not exactly sure when. Uh, but the bottom line is, is I got to see them play. Uh-huh. You know, at the at the uh, Santa Monica Civic Center, which is I don't know three to five thousand seats, and the buzz was out on them, so the place was pretty packed. And, uh, is that what got you there? You just, you just heard a good buzz about them. You're like, I'm going to go check these guys out. Yeah. And, uh, they said, well, somebody said these, these are the, the, this is the new hot band on the, on the strip and should check them out. And so I went down and, uh, I'm not sure if I, if I met them then, but there were, uh, we had a couple of friends in common and I, and I remember meeting, uh, 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 Nikki six and, uh, and, just kind of like, you know, 
been kind of friends with them, you know, from right. just kind of watching their career. And then, then it, uh, we were in Vancouver doing, I think it was uh, uh, the second record, not not uh, not Permanent Vacation, but I think it was the next one, uh, uh, Pump, I think. And uh, and there are two studios in that in that place, Little Mountain, up there in Vancouver, and they were in the other studio. And so we ran into each other a lot. Oh, wow. So they were probably doing uh, Dr. Feelgood right around then. That was yeah. 89, 90, Actually, right? That, that's right. They were uh, with, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Mr. Rock, the uh, the producer, was right. uh, uh, producing their record, I think. And uh, Bobby Rock, right? Uh, yeah. That was his name? That's yeah. it. And he was – and they were they – they, they sounded great and uh, – uh, they, they, it was you know we ran into them pretty much daily, and they uh, and of course some of the guys you know would uh, they would tag after after the session they would tag along and go down to the to the clubs you know Vancouver uh-huh. reputably is it probably has the best. Uh, from what I've heard, has some of the best strip clubs. Uh, in the <laughs> you world. gave them a ride, right? You're like, yeah, I'm the headliner. I'll give you youngsters a ride down there. Uh, they they knew everybody by the first name by the time. That's they hilarious. Left, I have to say, was that hard you know, to be around guys like that? Because I know by then you'd you'd long since cleaned up and everything. Had you you had your fun basically at that point? Not at all. I mean, it was not a, not an issue. I mean, they were uh, uh, they were, and they you know what they uh, uh, you know. They would party like late at night after they were done. But when they when they came into the studio in the afternoon, they were all business, just like you know. That's they, what I figure. Is, is, is that a I mean? myth? As far as people like, it's uh, not like they walked in with a bottle of Jack Daniels and said, right. "Yeah, who? Let's go." It's like you know they had work to do, and, and uh, you know that's it shows because that was, that was a great record. You hey, know? did you ever call anybody out for doing the iced tea in in the? Uh, in the Jack Daniels bottle, you know, a couple. I've heard of a couple bands. They would put iced tea in the Jack Daniels bottle, and then they'd go out in front of the crowd and act like they were crazy, and they'd just be chugging iced tea. I heard about that, but I've never. Uh, you never busted I anybody never, doing never, that. Never uh, ran into anybody that did it, but I heard stories about bands doing that. But uh, uh, you know, of course, they don't rate very high on my respect list. But you know. Uh, <laughs> Gonna, That'd be like a prop act with the comedian. If you're gonna drink it, you might as well drink it. You know what yeah. I mean? And what's the what's the problem if you don't? So well, I don't care how the, the big giveaways. I don't give. A, I don't care how much you drink. Nobody can chug hard alcohol. You just can't do it. You can right. fit. Like I've I've seen guys take big gulps, but once you start throwing the thing back, like Joe Green in that that famous commercial when he's drinking Coca Cola, and even he had a couple times on a couple takes, he had right. to stop and belch or whatever. There's no way you could do it with hard alcohol. But before before we go any further, I wanted to ask you: you got a really cool tattoo on your forearm there of uh, oh, looks like an old school gun. What's what's uh, what's the story old, behind that? Uh, Smith and Wesson um, break top Schofield. Uh, I guess it was designed back in the 1800s. Oh yeah, and uh, it's. I, I just like the shape of it. It's one of my favorite favorite designs. It's an old revolver, and uh, you know, there's a place uh, in New Orleans. I I did a, had an acting gig down there, and uh, somewhere in the French Quarter, they had all these old guns yeah, and I've, rifles. You ever been in there? I've spent. I've dropped way too much money in that place. Yeah, I wanted to buy my dad this. This it was a, a rifle from like the from 1812, right? It was insane. And they even had the bayonet and everything. And my dad likes that type of shit. But the thing was for me to get it from 
Louisiana all the way up. Like, first of all, I couldn't get it shipped because Massachusetts has some sort of laws. Right. So then I'd have to, would have had to buy it and then drive it up there. And as, as I was crossing state borders, I just kept thinking about Tommy Chong when he sent the bongs out and shit. Right. And all of a sudden he had the feds at his door and, you know, who the fuck's going to drive from New Orleans all the way to Massachusetts and drive 55? It's not going to well, be me. I'm going to well, drive 80 at some point and be no. like, I'm fine. It's, it's tough. To, I think that big the big musket uh, hanging out the back, you know, again, without getting into, into the politics of things. I mean, uh, I just think that the, uh, that things should be a little more things should be a little more standardized as far as right. firearms go. I think they should be. Uh, I mean, people should be given at least uh, you know put through more uh, schooling before they're given a, a permit, and and it should be more standardized from state to state because there are some states where it's it's easier to get firearms, and there are other states where it's really hard, and it's. It, it is, is hard, insane how, how to, in, to, to it's hard to to keep track of it. You know? Yeah, and it's insane how in some states you can basically just go in and buy it and not have to prove any sort of capability. I mean, it'd be like giving like somebody who doesn't know how to drive keys to a car. It's like they're gonna kill somebody. Um, but I, I honestly, I don't have uh, a problem with guns. I think they're cool as long as the right person owns it, which is the big, of course, fly in the ointment. But uh, what are some of your you, you like the uh, the gun you just mentioned there? What are some of your uh, your go-to guns, like right, some of the modern stuff. What do you like? Well, I'm, I'm not really a. I mean, I, I have a few modern modern uh, uh, firearms. I collect all kinds of weapons. I've, I've even got a an old Greek sword uh, that's uh, made out of bronze. It's all like it's green and, and it's it's actually quite small. So if somebody broke into your house. Were very small, you know. I mean, they were the people were smaller then, you know, right. and uh, and so the, everything is like seems a little smaller. But anyway, um, uh, if somebody broke into your house, you can't tell me if they're coming up the stairs, right? And the only weapon you see is that old Greek sword. Party has got to be like, ah, God, that cost me a fortune. Well, do I really want to run is, this guy through with it? What they what they're going to be doing is focusing on that while I walk up behind them with my shotgun. Oh, you're, so, now you're a shotgun inside guy. Huh? Well, I do have, a, you know, I mean, it, they're, they're reliable. They're uh, and uh, but what about what about what like I understand as a you uh, if you're in that situation, um, there's a, a level of panic that comes with it, and I've never been in that situation, fortunately. And uh, I hope it stays that way. But uh, you know, I'm not. I've never been in the army. I've never been trained, and uh, you know, uh, so I kind of look at things like the easiest thing that would be to have, you know, around for for if somebody got that far, you know, would be something that would be very easy to use. And a shotgun comes into that heading. So, uh, but again, it's like uh, it's an efficiency you know. thing. I've always, you know, because I've actually. You know, I tore through the South, and I always tell them they're out of their minds to have a shotgun in their house. I got a whole bit coming out on my next special about it where I always think all you need is like a twenty-two, because um, it's easy. To, my big thing is you can you're, – when you're in the dark, if you shoot, you can still hear. It doesn't – you've already lost your sight. It's not going to take away your hearing too. And people always laugh at a twenty-two, but it's like, dude, if I had a loaded twenty-two and I pointed it at you, you're diving. 
you're running away. And if I right. started shooting you with it, you wouldn't be laughing going, this is a 22. I could well, shoot you with a BB gun. You'd be like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. People, people, you know, and also it's kind of hard to tell, you know, what it is you have in your hand. The whole thing is it's so much, there's so much psych, psychology that goes along with it. And I've, and I've studied a lot of that because, uh, uh, again, you know, if you're going to have, it's a great responsibility to own firearms. And I've done a lot of, of, uh, of, of studying. I've worked with people. I haven't actually gone to any, any of the, uh, the, the places where you can go to train, but I've talked to a lot of, the, of, of instructors and so on. And, uh, and, uh, from what I gather, handguns are probably the least effective in, even in the hands of, of trained you miss. Train people. So it is. People miss. I think that uh, Hemingway said that of all of all the weapons out there, the weapon that misses the most is a handgun because there's so much moving and so much going on, and it's. Uh, but I would think just the sound alone. I'm hearing a gun. I'm not going to be sitting there if I'm breaking your house, counting shots like they do in the movie, and then I'll be at the bottom going, Joe. I know you're out of bullets. Yeah. Come out with your hand. I mean, I'm not going to fight. The second somebody starts shooting at me, I, I'm thinking, I'm going to go rob another house. I would yeah. just think people would do that, but well, that, I, I don't know. You know what? I did see you on that show. Was it Son of a Gun? Yeah, Sons of Guns. Yeah. Sons of Guns, man. Yeah. That must have been fun as hell. For people who don't know, I don't even know if it's still on. There's so many freaking channels and shows, but these guys just, it was like a hot rod show, except it was guns, and these right. guys would just make these insane weapons uh and then people got to come on the show you know they'd weld like m60s to like right. the top of a prius or something like that right right <laughs> <laughs> what did uh what did you get to shoot on that like some anti-aircraft uh, they, gun they, they had a couple of uh of uh, uh hot rotted so to speak right. uh you know like uh m16s and things like that so we shot those but the main thing was i had this uh this old cannon that was uh actually from the 1800s and uh I, I really didn't know much about it and they they kind of uh cleaned it up a little bit and got into the serial number and it was actually a military issue and it was actually a naval gun and when two ships are at sea and they want to transport like a cargo or a person or something back and forth they need to send a line from one ship to the other so they use this cannon which is it's only about three feet long, and they shoot this this uh, this lead dart over to the other boat, and it it takes a rope with it. Then they put they attach a bigger rope to it, and then a bigger rope and a bigger rope, and then finally they have this pulley thing so they can transport stuff back and forth. So that's what that's what it was for. How many people you think accidentally got killed on the other ship? You know, when they, I mean, even though that they knew that they were shooting it over, it was just such not an exact science. You didn't really take wind. You know, you kind of wet your finger back then, right? I have no a feeling that people would probably keep their heads up watching where the thing was going. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, but you go to a baseball game. Somebody sometimes. gets dinged in the head all the time. <laughs> They're just fucking sitting there. Yeah. And these guys are like trying to hit 100, 90, 100 mile an hour pitches. And there's always oh. somebody just sitting there eating and talking. And they, get, they always get hit in the chest, thank God. Like a few people have actually gotten hit in the head. But yeah. I got to ask you this something about cannons that I realized as I was talking to you. My only knowledge of cannons is what I've seen in cartoons. I'm not sure. even trying to be funny here. And there's, there's, they try to make it look like, you know, the thing that they stick in there is like a little bomb. And then they shoot it and it explodes. But it's really just, it's just a, a giant, like, uh, ball made out of metal. And that gets launched through gunpowder, right? So there's this giant metal ball 
well, that pokes them, a hole in your ship and sinks it? Well, some of them are, are from what I understand, because I've, I've read you know, quite a few uh, uh, historic novels, and, and that part of that part of history uh, fascinates me. You know, the, the the tall ships and all that, and, and apparently some of the some of the the things they would put in there would actually be filled with gunpowder with a oh, with a fuse okay. so when it would when it would get shot off it would you know it was very inaccurate and uh you know once in a while it would work but it would it would uh you know it would land on the ship and hopefully explode but whatever well that goes back to the dart i'm saying it's very inaccurate they'd shoot yeah. it and they probably somebody caught it in the leg Right, and then they got to saw it off. They just give them some whiskey. Yeah, right. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, medicine was not anything near what we think. You know, think of medicine. Uh, you know, up till uh, up to the end of the night of uh, the 18th century, it was like just basically that. You know, if you got a hangnail, foot comes and is coming off, or right. uh, you know, it was and then really they, bad. Then they would do that thing to 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 stitch you up. They just stick your leg in a fire. Yeah, it's I mean, it's quick, of... easy, cheap, you know. <laughs> so, Isn't it amazing, like, the amount of pain that you can actually take? Do you know I saw this this thing as far as, like, horrific <laughs> ways horrific ways to die? They had this thing, okay, you did something, they decided that you were going to die. And they had this giant, like, it was like a fucking brass cow or some sort of animal. It made out of some sort of metal, right? right. And they would stick you in the fucking thing. How they ever got you in? Because I would have just killed myself. They stick you in the fucking thing. They close it up. And then they light a fire underneath it. And they would just basically cook you. I've always thought about that laying in there as it's getting hot, bouncing all around like someone who fucking fell off a motorcycle trying not to have the heat on you for too long. Right. It's just the the, the fucking agony. And how these people could just sit there and... uh, Who's that that guy who used to... uh, they they put you on a uh, what the fuck do they call the impaler? Oh yeah, Vlad uh, the Dracula they called him. I love how you I said that know, like uh, you knew him. Oh yeah, Vlad. Well, I mean I've read read that stuff. You know, I mean, we've all read it. We've seen it in movies, and, and you know he's. Uh, I actually the watched Vlad the impaler, videos. and there he, you know he to me what amazes me is the way that people have invented to fuck other people up over the years. It just blows my mind. What's I mean, the worst one you ever heard? Oh God! Well, that was pretty close. I mean, that that really like that, and I can't imagine being. Uh, I mean, I love horses, but I can't imagine being tied to four of them. Ugh. You know what I mean? And then having somebody yell, "Go, okay, pull a little harder." Not not even like you know, get up, you know, get up and go, and like making it short, but like actually just kind of like. Oh, they would. They slowly apart. had him walk you apart. Know what I mean, that kind of thing. That's that sounds like a, a pretty rotten way to go. For those people listening at home who don't. You basically they would tie, you know, your wrist to one horse, you know, yeah. your wrist to another, your ankle to one, you know, and they would walk in four different directions, and then they'd slowly fucking dislocate yeah. your joints, and then eventually just yeah pull you apart. And that's yeah. I would but just one be thing screaming. I do want to say one thing. I do want to say going back to something we were talking about before, which was uh, about you know home and home defense and all that. But one of the things that I've I've learned from talking to umpteen people about this, and that is that a dog, any size dog, is probably the most effective thing you could have in your house for yeah. safety. Uh, just because the main thing is is getting some enough time to either 
deal with what to deal with what you have to deal with. Make make the the nine one one call. You know, jump out the window if that's what has to right. happen. Pull out whatever your your last ditch uh, weapon of choice is. But the main thing is buying some time, and a dog will basically send the guy off to somebody else's house yeah. and, make, and then it's their problem. I got, you know? a dog, I got a dog. My dog will do that like every once in a while. I'll <laughs> be sleeping and I, and I get so terrified. I'm just sleeping. All of a sudden, the dog just starts going. Yeah. Oh, you know. and, I, and I sit there going like, what? And I sit up in bed. I'm such a coward. And I'm immediately like, and then I'm thinking like, I should have got a gun. I should have bought a gun. You know, I wish I had a bat here or something. Well, I got bat's, a, bat's a good thing. Too, yeah, I have a knife. Know. This cop told me a knife is stupid because you got to get in close. So at least have a bat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is all. This but is the all dog, and, and again, a dog, a small dog, any dog that, that's, you know, becomes part of the family, he's going to protect the pack and he's going to let somebody know. And uh, that, that really, they, they, on, on all the lists I've ever seen, they've put, they're like in the top three things you could, you could have that could be the, the, the best thing. That's and, awesome. Uh, anyway, I just let wanted me, to. Let uh, me, I got to ask, I, so we've got to wind down here because I got to, I got to. Another freaking thing I got to run to. Once again, sorry that I didn't have a extra mic cord. No, that's okay. That was, that was hey, pretty unprofessional, man. Hey, hey. I didn't even mention you, you went over there twice because the other thing, the first one you brought didn't fit my stupid mixer. It's, yeah, it actually goes to an old, to an old microphone, that, uh, like an old-style an old style one that needs power. So it had two, two more extra prongs and it didn't work. You're so. being too kind. The no reality problem. is, is I showed up uh, unprepared. But I got let me ask you, can I ask you some uh, uh, music geek questions here. Sure. Okay. Uh, the, the, Whatever you want, man. All right. The, the best live band, other than your own band, best live band you ever saw. Well, I have to say, uh, my theory is is that uh, a rock and roll show. If we're talking about rock and roll, rock is and a, roll is yeah. the interaction interaction between the fans and the band and. A lot of times you might be in a club, and it might not even be a big band, but they they they've got good songs, and they're they're getting the audience off, and the audience is giving them love, and the the band is giving it back, and you get that feeling like, wow, this is magic, and right then they might be the best band, right? You know, uh, that that night they're the best band, and you know you you walk away and you feel great, and it was like an an incredible show. So th- that's kind of like what we strive for as a band. Say, is that, is that what, we try and do that, try and get that magic going, and that that's the thing you can't. I mean, you can line everything up, make sure the guitars are in tune, make sure everything's working, but it's really about you know hooking up with the audience and and having that that interaction and having that excitement. And uh, I have to say that the, that one of the shows. Uh, that, that I've seen recently was actually the Stones. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, yeah, of course, pick the Stones. But it was, I've seen them on nights when they just weren't that good. You know, I've seen them when they were, were really good back in, back in, in uh, the 60s. And, uh, but this particular night, we were on the road in, in Germany, and they played a place in Berlin, and they sounded incredible. And it was like... It was one of those nights where they where everything just locked together, and you could see, you know, fifty years of experience. You could hear everything. It was a it was a wow. a perfect a perfect venue. It only held about five thousand people, 
and I was blown away. I mean, I you know, I mean, I, awesome. I figured it would be like you know, well, there you know, it would be like wow, they're really good for seventy. No, they were as good as any band I'd ever seen, and they were as good as any of the, the the great shows I saw in the in 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 the in the day, and they 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 knocked me out, man. I That's have to awesome. say, you know, who, who uh, anybody, any young players out there? Uh, it's crazy now trying to figure out who the guys are because there's no centralized area for music anymore. But are there any young players out there that you watch them play and they inspire you? Like, man, I got to go home and practice, or I want to, I want to try to take my you know like just as a comedian to try to relate it like you know i love new comics and i right. love seeing somebody there's nothing i love more than seeing a young comic that i know is going to be great right and um and you're seeing they got the hunger they got the drive they got the talent and you know that they're gonna you just know you know they're gonna do it i always that always gives me like a jolt of energy because i remember what that was like uh being their age and stuff and like how it, you know just sort of trying to recapture, like, you know, because sometimes you can get into the grind of it. I was wondering if there was any, like, bands that are out right now that, that make you, like, fuck, man, I, I, you know, maybe you're not near your guitar. And you're just like, fuck, I wish I had my guitar in my hand right now. I want to just, just start making well, music. I don't know. I, I, I hear some good, some good music. I was in the studio the other day, and there was a band that was being uh, recording. And, you know, and, and the vocal wasn't on it yet, and the, but the music sounded like it, it had like some real potential uh it's a really hard question because it's like there are a lot of technically great players and there's a few like really great players that are really young uh they have uh uh there's so much on the internet to i mean you can i mean back in, when i was growing up i i had to find i had to struggle to find somebody who even played guitar much yeah. less uh you know get a get a lesson you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I but, fucked but, up my know. foot. I fucked up my foot trying to figure out John Bonham's bass drum technique because I was trying to do it with my like my big toe, and I was like arching my foot, and I got like uh, what do you what do you call it that plantar fissuritis? Really? And now it's like you can go because all I had was like a record player and speakers, and you're sticking your you you sure. slow it down, and now like you, know, you just go on YouTube and somebody just shows you. Yeah, no, it's it, like a slide step. You just kind of move your whole foot, and it's like you know your leg goes up once, but you get two hits, and it's just. And then I'm watching like some fucking kid, right. like eight years old, playing all that stuff, and I'm just like, it's they they can get like a year's worth of drum lessons or guitar lessons in in one night on YouTube. It's incredible. That's exactly it, and you know, I mean that, that it's all spelled out, and that's why I think there are a lot of a lot of good guitar players out there that are technically good. They can play the play all the stuff. But still, it still comes down to writing a good song, writing something that that you know is a little bit original and you know and and is entertaining. And it still comes down to that. You can be a you can be a wizard on guitar, but unless you're a guitar freak, you know, as far as like you know entertaining your average rock fan, you still got to write write a good song you got to connect with you know them. what i mean and yeah. it's and, and no matter you know whether it's like you know you got 6000 computers and you got you know it's running through tape machines and all you know like you got all the best equipment unless you got a good song you still got nothing yeah. so that will never change and, right. well, uh, let me ask you cuz i i got i got to wrap up here as far as your book that's out uh first of all where where can fans get it i know it's on amazon if yeah. there's any local bookstores left. Well, there's a few. Actually, there's, 
there's a lot more than I expected. I, I, I mean, I went through probably six or seven cities, and uh, most of them we went to. Uh, I think we only we did a couple of Barnes and Noble, but we did mostly uh, more mom and pop kind of places. But what I found out was most of them do their business online. And so there's oh, cool. there's some competition for Amazon. You know, it keeps everybody kind of honest. There's nobody's got a monopoly. You know, so uh, but uh, basically the best thing to do is is uh, either order from your local bookstore, support the the, the you know mom and pop kind right. of places, or you know get it from from Amazon. And right now, hopefully, it should still be on the shelves. And uh, I know I signed a bunch of them, so there's still oh, cool. there's still an opportunity to get some that have been signed. You know, what but, if, uh, when people buy the book, uh, is there a favorite story or one that comes to mind? If you got a quick one that you want to tell here at the end, uh, is it basically is it stories about you on the road with these guys? Is it is it the whole thing like Joe? You it's know, every, it's it's an autobiography from the time I put both feet on the ground. Ah, you know I can't what wait I mean? To, I can't it's wait from to read it. 19, from it's it's sixty four years, man, of life. And well, I, I've been a part fan of, of that is Aerosmith, you know. Yeah, I've been a fan of you for so long that I know some of the story. I already remember, like you told some cool story in some other interview where you, um, how you ended up getting into guitar. You were a young kid, and there was these older guys sitting on the front porch playing guitar, and you're like, ah, oh, it just sounded really cool. It just sort of yeah. captured your attention. Um, I well, personally, I cannot wait to read it, and I am like. Fascinated with that whole period of music that you came up in, and I also like that whole thing where you guys, you know, had to stick your ear to a speaker or try and slow it down. And because I find a lot of times when I'm, you know, I mess around with guitar too, and I try to watch somebody play it, then turn my back to the video because, right? Because and people like the person will literally break it down, show you that where they put their fingers and stuff, and people will still ask for tabs. And I'm just looking at like, don't you ever want to have the freedom? To like basically, I've always figured becoming literate in music means you could listen to it and figure it out. Where if you always had to have tabs and everything, it was almost like you couldn't even read. You know what I mean? Right. Like somebody had to hold your hand, and uh, like I think there's a lot of people out there that can really play all this shit. But if you just played it on a record, can you sit down? Maybe you don't need to do it anymore because there's someone who will will, will break it down for you. But uh. But anyway, dude, I'm such a huge fan of you and your band and all the stuff that you guys have done. I never even thanked you for all the great music. I mean, it's basically a soundtrack of my youth. Well, um, thanks. I, I love all your stuff, and I'm so psyched for this book. I cannot wait to read it. Uh, once again, it's called Joe Perry, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith. Uh, so psyched I finally got you here on the podcast. Uh, yeah. Good luck with the allergies. Thanks for showing all your stories about guns and all this other stuff. I hope uh, I asked you some different questions. You did. It was great. Okay. And we'll have to do this again because, I was, like I said, I was looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it before the book. Or You know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean it, it, the main reason – was because we're from Boston. Yeah. It's great to hear the accent. And I know. It's just I can't get rid to, of it. To, I read you know, it to, by we'll, the way. Comic we'll do it again. We'll talk definitely. about Boston some more. You know, definitely, definitely. All right. Joe Perry, his new book, My Life in and Out of Aerosmith, is available all over the Internet. And uh, if you got a mom and pop store down the street and you want to help them out, bookstore down there, please go down and pick it up. Uh, Joe Perry, thank you so much for uh, listening to the Monday Morning Podcast. Hope to see you soon, okay? It's an honor. Thank you. All right, brother.
Toyota, you know, we all agree that reducing emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, yet they make up less than 10% of all new vehicles today. That's because right now they cost more. They're too expensive, just like all new technology. Consumers worry about range and whether or not they'll be able to find a charging station. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture the batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision of a carbon neutral future. The materials used to make just one long range battery for an EV electric vehicle could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, hey, let's go places.